Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Footsteps of Messiah, page 125. And we finished the Gog and Magog War. And now we go into another pre-tribulational event that probably, most likely, will follow the destruction of Gog and Magog, which is the entrance of the one world government. Now, this makes sense if you put this in order that now that the all, in Psalm 83, that all the Arab nations surrounding Israel are gone, the Muslim threat is obliterated, Gog and Magog are gone, Russia's gone, Iran's gone, and the Islamic peoples that attacked Israel are gone. Now you can see why we would place the development of the one world government coming to fruition after these countries or nations and religion has been an impediment to this forming. Now that they're gone, now that Russia and Iran are gone and the Muslim people uh, our uh, religion is gone, the formation of the one world government can come to fruition. So we read in Daniel seven twenty three through 24, and this is the prediction. Thus he said, the fourth beast, which is Roman Empire or imperialism, shall be a fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms. And notice this, and shall devour the whole earth. That phrase right there is indicating to us a one-world government. Now, this is far different than any previous Gentile nations that controlled regions like the Babylonians and the Persians and Medes and then Greece. This kingdom is going to control the whole earth. Now, notice we already know what the fourth kingdom is. The fourth kingdom is Rome or imperialism. We saw it in its fruition in Jesus' day. But that never happened to where they controlled the entire planet. So therefore, this is the continuance of Rome is still with us, and now it's going to take over the entire earth. And shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Now watch this. Here's the second phase of it. And as for the ten horns, out of his kingdom shall ten kings arise. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the former, and he shall put down three kings. That's referring to the Antichrist. So there's actually two phases in this small little passage in Daniel 7. The first phase that will come is a one-world government controlling the entire planet. We don't know how long that goes, but apparently very quickly it breaks up into a ten-league confederation. Bible, Bible interpreters used to misinterpret this and put this on Europe and say one, one day Europe's going to break up into ten leagues and that's going to be the revived Roman Empire. That was the old understanding of this. But what you see with hermeneutics and, and understanding Daniel 7 is first a one world government must come into fruition and then it breaks up into ten. So, what that shows you, it's not a ten-league confederation over Europe. It is a ten-league confederation over the entire planet with ten governing rulers or kings 
over those regions on the planet. Okay? So, this is all things that we possibly could see. If the rapture doesn't happen before this, it doesn't happen before Gog and Magog, and we see that go down eventually after Gog and Magog, we could possibly see the one world government form and then eventually break up into ten leagues. We don't know the causes for the ten leagues to break up, but we do have some indication by Daniel stating that with the metallic man in Daniel chapter 2, he indicates that the ten toes, which indicate the ten league confederation, is made up of partly ceramic or clay and partly iron, which gives us an indication that the two will not fuse together very well. And that, perhaps, is the reason it breaks up into ten leagues. Satan's goal is to create a utopia. He tried to do this under Nimrod and tried to get the whole world together, centered together into one league, one world government under Nimrod as the leader. It failed because God broke that up. It wasn't the right time for it. Anyway, Satan's goal is to clump up all of humanity under one. But apparently, because humanity is so diverse and is loyal to its own regions, trying to bring them under one umbrella is very difficult because people are still loyal or patriotic to their own countries or ethnic origins. Due to that fact it's hard to put them together. So it inevitably breaks up into ten leagues. Okay, so what could you possibly see then? You could possibly see a North American Union, a South American Union, maybe a regional government over Europe, Asia, China, the Asian Pacific. Perhaps we don't know. But the world will be broken up into ten leagues. Now, this is not a conspiracy theory, by the way. If you go online and do a Google search about a 10-league confederation, watch what you pull up. The map has already been divided. It's already thought about by secularists already. So it's not a, you know, like they're not thinking like this. It's already being thought about. And this is why even in the United States, people are thinking about a new currency called the Amero, which would include Mexico, Canada, and the United States, in driving that one currency. But we know ultimately what's going to happen is first a one world government and then a regional development of things. So that's what we expect to see. These are pre-tribulational events. And uh, then on next page 126, again a continuation, and we talked about this, the ten kingdoms will form up. And then if you go to the next page, Page 127, then you have the rise of Antichrist. So, the idea then is Antichrist comes out of the Ten League Confederation. So we have the One World Government first, Ten League Confederation, and then the rise of Antichrist comes out of it as the little horn out of the Ten, king, the ten Kings. Okay, so he's an eleven. Okay. If this was to go down in the near future, that would mean that the Antichrist is alive today. That being the case, maybe it's he's not. Maybe if this is still future and it's way far away, then he's not born yet. But one day, he will arise out of nowhere. The idea in Daniel and the Hebrew, uh, sorry, the Aramaic actually in Daniel, is he comes out out of nowhere. 
He just pops up. He's on the scene, and no one saw him coming. So he will be some type of political intrigue there, comes out of nowhere, and seizes three of the kingdoms and takes power from three of the kingdoms, and the other seven regions submit to him and his power. So that's his rise. But it's predicted, you can see this in Daniel 7.24 on the top of the page, and another shall arise after him, and he, he shall be diverse from the former, and he shall put down three kings. So basically takes three territories militarily in this ten-league ten confederation. So he must be powerful. He must have money, and he must have the backing of some type of military in order to do this. Okay? Now, we get into the revelation of the identity of the Antichrist, and Paul points out that the identity of the Antichrist will be revealed prior to the tribulation. Prior to the tribulation. Not before the rapture, but prior to the tribulation. Okay? Look in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 3. Now, we beseech you, brethren touching or concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's referring to the rapture, and our gathering together unto him, the rapture, to the end that ye be not quickly shaken from your mind, nor be troubled either by spirit or by word or by epistle as from us. And what was happening is someone had told them they had missed the rapture and they were in the tribulation. Okay, So they were fooled and conned by some false teacher that they had missed the uh, rapture and they were in the tribulation. Okay, so watch what Paul says. As that the day of the Lord, that's the tribulation right there, is just at hand. So the, the idea that they were in it. Let no man beguile you or deceive you in any wise or way, for it will not be. So the tribulation won't come unless you see these two things happen first. Except the falling away come first, great apostasy of the church, falling away is apostasy, and the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, be revealed the son of perdition. Okay, so in essence then, before all this can go down, he's telling them in the great, before the great tribulation, you will see the great apostasy of the church, and prior to the tribulation, the identity of the Antichrist will be revealed. Okay, so the point then is the great apostasy happens. Now, now, here's the deal. If we believe, and I do believe based on Scripture, that we're in the great apostasy, so that happens first, and then the son of perdition is shown prior to the tribulation, then where are we at? We're close. Now, I can't give you a day or hour, and I'm forbidden to do that because I won't know myself. But if anyone does, don't, you know, check them off. But I can tell you based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, concerning the times and seasons, brother, I would not have you be ignorant. So what did Paul say? He said, you didn't, you wouldn't know the day or the hour, but you would know the times and seasons of the last days. And according to Matthew 24, the timetable has been given. Um, when the disciples asked him three questions, and he said, when you see wars and rumors, sorry, not wars and rumors, Rome, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, that is world war. We talked about that, World War I. World War II was a continuation of World War I. The world war sign had been given. We are now officially in the last days. I don't know how long they go, 
But based on that timing mechanism, we're in the last days, and I couple that with a great apostasy, yes, you are in the last days. You are in it. Now, how long this goes, I don't know. And no one can tell you that. But Paul would say, you guys are not ignorant of this. You know what time and season you're living in. Okay, so the next event then is we're watching this one world, Gog and Magog, all that stuff come up. Right before the tribulation, Antichrist is revealed. Now, notice Paul in this text doesn't say how he's revealed. So there's some conjecture here that we enter into the text of how he's going to be revealed. It perhaps could be by what Revelation 13 explains. I do not believe we're here based on what I said, that the restrainer is going to be removed and then the Antichrist is revealed. So we're gone. But it doesn't mean other believers won't be here from the Israel tribes, the 144,000 people who get saved from all these things. It's perhaps conjecture that they will use Revelation 13 to identify who he is and how do they identify him. You remember? Let's read it. Revelation 13, verse 18, okay? Here is wisdom. Now here's, a, here's how you get wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Okay? So what the, the, the biblical interpreters are supposed to do, and you could only do this at that time, is you would take his name and put it in Hebrew. Because this obviously is a Hebrew book. It, it, it would not be Greek. It would be Hebrew in what they're doing. Because Hebrew, the alphabet and the numerical system are the same letters. Does that make sense? You know, we have a separate numerical system and then we have separate alphabet. The Hebrew's not like that. It combines the numerics with the alphabet in one. Okay? So every letter has a number attached to it. So this is what you get into called gematria. And this is very common. This is why numbers in the Old Testament and even the New Testament are important. You want to go too far with them, but numbers have significance. For instance, the number 40. What do you think of when you hear the number 40? It's judgment, testing, testing, testing before judgment, right? Number 7, perfection. 3, the Trinity, Right? When you hear those numbers, it signals that there's a meaning behind the symbol. Stuff like that. Ten, you know, ten commandments. It means uh, a unit, uh, one unit with other parts in that unit. Um, twelve disciples. Twelve this, twelve that. Anytime you see the number twelve, it refers to government. The perfect government is twelve. Stuff like that, right? Okay. So what they, how the Hebrew works is, what they will be able to do is get the guy's name and test it by 666. They will put his name in Hebrew, and if it adds up, every letter has numerical value. You don't count the vowels. There's no vowels in Hebrew. We're guessing how they pronounce the Hebrew, but there's no vowels. So you put the name together without vowels, and that will give you a numerical value for the man's name. If the numerical value comes up to 666, bingo, they will have him. Now, you can't do that now. You can only do this when he is revealed at that time, and they will be able to calculate the name. So, now, now let me ask you this. I know 
people, when they, they think, well, that's the mark of the devil, and it is, and you get, I see people, you know, who, who are into witchcraft and stuff, get 666 and stuff all over them, and they put it on their shirts, and they think it's, they're really, uh, they're really evil. The number is there to help believers identify who the guy is. It's actually a help. Does that make sense? The book of Revelation is a survival manual for believers in the tribulation. If you think about it, that's what that's doing. It doesn't help us to know 666 because we can't pin the tail on the donkey. We can't do that right now because the restrainer's holding them back. So if you want to go with Hillary Clinton, you're going to be wrong, even though she's close, right? But nonetheless, they will be able to pin the tail on the donkey using this numeric system and they will say, it's him. And then when they see him sign it, they'll know definitely. The book of Revelation, it would be phenomenal to have during that period of time because it would tell the believer what's coming next. How would you like to live in that age and be told through the scripture, this is coming next? You, it would tell you how to prepare for that, wouldn't it? Hey, uh, angels are going to pour out the wrath of God and all the waters are going to turn to blood. What would you start doing? Start saving water. Do you see the survival manual thing in there? It would tell you how to survive through the tribulation. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, so here's an act of grace on God's part. Why tell the whole world prior to the tribulation, and particularly Israel, who this man is before the tribulation starts? Why tell them that? That's right. It's an act of grace. I warned you. I warned you. That's the guy. Israel. Don't cut a deal with him. Now we know they will, but it's an act of grace to Israel. Don't do a deal with the devil. Here is the devil's son in the devil's seed, and you're going to cut a deal with him. And I'm warning you, he is of the devil. I'm warning the entire world. Do not worship him. He is the Antichrist. It is God's final call right before the tribulation of saying, I'm warning you, I'm warning you. If you haven't been impressed now by Psalm 83, Gog and Magog, all these other things, the one world government forming and breaking up, and that hasn't got your attention, I'm trying to get your attention before it all goes down. Okay, we're all good on that. Okay, let's move to the next page, 128. The period of peace and false security. Now, Paul talks about this period of peace and false security prior to the tribulation. Again, this is following the heels of what he has already stated in, in uh, chapter 4 of Thessalon uh, the First Thessalonians, which is about the rapture. Okay, so this is following on the heels of the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren... Ye have no need that anything be written unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. When they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall no wise escape. So here's what happens. All the way up to this point, we've gotten rid of Islamic religion. The rapture presumably has happened. 
The Bible thumpers have now removed themselves. The aliens took them out of there. So they're out of the way. We have achieved world peace because we have this one world government. Now we have ten leagues. And we have one economic system now. Everything that we have always dreamed of, this humanistic utopia, has now been created. Mankind has finally achieved nirvana. Peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety, and then sudden destruction comes upon them with the tribulation. So that's what he's referring to. And, and that, that false security is like the days of Noah. They had a false security right before the rain came and the floods came. I find that very interesting that we are the ones standing in the way of world peace. It's the Christians and now obviously the Muslims as well. So if you get rid of the Muslims and now you get rid of the Bible thumper Christians, they don't care about the liberal Christians. The Rob Bells of the world and, and the Rick Warren, they don't care because they fit right in. So they're, they're not a threat. It's people like you and I that, that we're a threat to. So they want us out of here. So that, that God will give them what they want. And so they have this false security and peace and that happens. Then what happens from there, letter I, the seven-year covenant starts. We'll, we'll study that more in detail. But I wanted to go to some other pre-tribulational events that we don't know necessarily the chronological sequence of them, but I want to hit this before we take a break. On page 129, we have the first blackout. Again, we don't know where to put this other than it's pre-tribulational. The first blackout is described in Joel, but I wanted to back up, and, and Frutenbaum will show this, a similar blackout to, to what we saw with Egypt and Exodus when the blackout occurred, and then similar to what happened at the crucifixion in Jesus' day when he was being crucified of a blackout. These interesting things about a thick darkness, a darkness that can be felt, it's something tangible, something different than normal darkness. Anyway, on page 130, it's described in Joel chapter 2, 31. And it says this very simply, the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. And notice that term, before. That is your key timing element, is before. Before what? The great and terrible day of Yahweh comes, the tribulation. Now, there are five blackouts that will happen. This blackout of all natural light over the entire planet will happen somewhere prior to the tribulation. We don't know where to place it. Joel just simply says it's going to happen before the great day of the Lord. Again, why? As a warning to humanity, that I am about to do something dramatic that has never come upon the face of the earth. So, these blood moon things that you're seeing, that's not right. Joel, they attach it to Joel. Notice what Joel is referring to. It's not just simply referring to a moon. What else is it referring to? The sun. And the other blackouts and other passages refer to the stars so what you're seeing is, it's not just simply the moon, it's a blackout of all natural light over the entire planet. Just like in Egypt and just like the crucifixion of our Lord. So it's more than just a moon, it includes the sun as well. This is a supernatural blackout. It is not an eclipse because a solar or a lunar eclipse would only black out some portions of the earth. 
the entire planet is blackened out by God himself. Total blackout. So no matter what part of the world you're on, it will completely be black. Then we, we see the return of Elijah. And again, we do not know the timing of this other than it comes prior to the tribulation. It could come today. I don't know. It could come 10 years from now when he comes. I don't know. But here's what it says in Malachi 4, 5 through 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before. There's your term. There's your key phrase. Before the great and terrible day of Yahweh comes. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The curse is the tribulation. Okay. So one day, if we're still around and, and the, past, the rapture hasn't come, Elijah the prophet will return to earth. Now, here's a question. If we're here and wait, ready for that, you think we'll recognize him? Why would you say yes? What precedent are you working off of? If he comes back, the precedent we would use to say we would know him instantaneously is the occurrence of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration with our Lord and Peter, James, and John seeing what they saw. Do you remember that scene? Who appeared with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Now, this is very curious. They appear, and no one picks up on this, but when Jesus comes down, Peter instantly says, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Please tell me how Peter knew that was Moses and Elijah. Who told him? Because Jesus never tells him. He instantly recognizes that's Moses and that's Elijah. And Peter has never seen Moses in his life or Elijah. He doesn't know what they look like. And yet he could, he could just assume, I saw two angels with him or I saw two, two, two bias. Yeah, there's something there that in Paul will pick this up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we will be known as we are known when we're in heaven. We will have instant recognition of other believers when we're in heaven. And when heaven comes to earth, like with Moses and Elijah and they're, the Lord transformed, the instant recognition of other believers is, is there, and they recognize, oh, that's Moses, that's Elijah. That's how heaven is. That's how heaven is. When you're there, it's not like people forget who you are. They know exactly who you are, even though they've never met you. That's the union we have with the Holy Spirit working in us as all believers throughout all ages. It's instant recognition of other believers. So they recognize Moses and Elijah. Hence... Based on that precedent, if Elijah were to return, all believers on this planet would instantly recognize him. That's Elijah. There would be no hesitation. We would say, there would not be, hey, you proved to me that you are. You're talking about a man who's been in heaven for all these centuries coming back to earth. You would know exactly who he is. And so here's my question. Look at his ministry. Is his ministry to, what is, what is his ministry there for? What does he do? What, is, what does the prophet say he does? Connects the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse or with a tribulation. That is extremely interesting. The nature of Elijah's ministry to specifically Israel is to get rid of the family dysfunction in the family unit of the Jews. Does that strike you as odd? at first blush, that his job 
is to mend family relationships among the Jews. It's not, he's not, you know, you would say he's going to expose the Antichrist. I think he probably will. He's going to expose this. It doesn't say that, does he? It says his job primarily is to mend the families of the Jewish home. That's absolutely amazing. I, as a pastor, get this. I understand this. Maybe you do too. Let me, let me show you something. Most pastors will tell you they spend the majority of their time not only sermon prepping, but counseling to mend broken homes. His job will be needed for Israel because the longer Israel's going, the more dysfunctional their homes are becoming. They are being overtaken by secularism in their homes and their family unit is disintegrating. It's at the level of what Americans who are unbelievers are. It's that bad, okay? Now, why is that important for coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Why is having a strong family unit important to have in coming to faith in Jesus Christ? The dysfunction in families that you're seeing occur in the United States is causing not only a breakup in the home, but a breakup with God, with people. Divorce is at an all-time high. Dysfunction in families is at an all-time high. And that causes people to walk away from God watching their families act dysfunctionally. They don't want nothing to do with God. Because guess where kids get their image of God? Parents. When the parents are screwed up and dysfunctional and act crazy and do stupid things because they're so selfish. What do you think the kids think about God? He's not interested in me. He doesn't care about me. Why would he let this happen to me? I don't have nothing to do with him. Seventy-something percent of the Jewish population in Israel today are secular. Secular. Atheists. Because of this disintegration of the family unit in Israel. So Elijah's job is to put the family unit back together, get mom and dad functioning correctly so that they can be told how to express faith in Jesus Christ and communicate to that to their kids and the other extended family members. But when your home is messed up, it destroys your witness to a lost world. Because the unbeliever says, your family unit is just as screwed up as my family unit. Don't you dare tell me anything of that Jesus makes a difference in your life. Because you live the same way I do. You're just as screwed up as I am. That's why some of the church has lost its witness. Because of the dysfunction in the family unit. Does that make sense now? About why his job would be to put together the families in Israel. When you put together the families, it makes it more conducive for them to receive Messiah. And he's saying, I'm doing this prior to the tribulation so as many people can get right prior to the curse coming to the world, which is the tribulation. I think it makes perfect sense. As a pastor, I see it all the time. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. 
And the second is the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.